Bank Stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. What is up, Dodgers Nation? And welcome to another episode of Dodgers Dugout Live. Thank you for joining us. We got a jam-packed show today. We're going to focus it entirely on Andrew Friedman's press conference, everything he had to say, everything you need to know from it. The Dodgers are set to prioritize starting pitching. What I say last week, that had to be the emphasis. That seems to be the goal right now. Why the Dodgers aren't going to be making any wholesale changes why Dave Roberts isn't getting fired. Andrew Friedman calls last season in the postseason organizational failure. So tons and tons to get into, but thank you for so much for joining us here. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the Dodgers Nation YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Hit that like button and fire away with your comments. Do you think the Dodgers have been an organizational failure? And what changes would you like to see them make? But fire away those comments. And my super producer, Jordan, is going to be looking for those comments. We're going to hit them after every single segment. I'll read a couple here, though. We got Dodgers World Series champs 2025, I guess, from Brian Gomez. Cody, damn it hurts that we are not in the playoffs. Hello, DMAC. Hello, Carnivorous Lunar Activity. Ismail Torres, easy on the, okay. We got uh, Andrew Friedman, Dinos. Uh, Andrew Friedman only needs a mirror to see what the failure is. So still some frustrated Dodgers fans out there. There's no doubt about it. This one stings. Lots of Dodgers fans gnashing their teeth out there, especially after what we're seeing in the NLCS. The Phillies, they're making light work of that Arizona Diamondbacks team. The bank is rocking. The bank is going crazy. They're pummeling this pitching staff of the Arizona Diamondbacks and this Dodgers team. They didn't even score more than four runs a game against them, right? You average three a game. Your offense struggled. You hit 177. So I understand the frustration, but let's get right into it and talk about what Andrew Freeman had to say. Of course, I was in attendance at the press conference. It was very interesting to say the least. It did almost feel like you were watching a politician that was kind of singing his same tune and just using all of his same little platitudes and things like that. But he did say some interesting stuff that I think did make a lot of sense and stuff that should get you excited as Dodgers fans about next year and the potential that this franchise still has. So the first thing that Andrew Friedman had to say was the biggest surprise that he had was that this Dodgers offense struggled so mightily in the NLS, NLDS. I mean, you talk about a team four for 17 with the runners in scoring position. They hit 177. You look at the meat of that lineup. They weren't able to come through their superstars, Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts. They showed up, but that's about it. That's all they did. They didn't do much else. You had an infield single from Freddie Freeman from Mookie Betts, who goes 0 for 11. But here was Andrew Friedman talking about how shocked and surprised he was by the performance of this Dodgers offense. Our goal each and every year is to win a championship. In our opinion, putting ourselves in the best position to do that in the regular season is to win the division, which then puts us in the best position to win a championship. And when we don't do that, I think it's fair to say it's an organizational failure. It doesn't mean that there weren't successes and a lot of things to um, grab onto and a lot of special memories that were created throughout this summer that I think are real and happened and are meaningful. That being said, our goal was to win 11 games in October, and we didn't win one. So you hear right there, he calls it an organizational failure, and you have to give him credit. I mean, he has stepped up. He's someone that is not shy away from that. Now, was it a failure of the organization? I would say in the postseason, it was. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you look at this offense, how poorly they performed. You look at this pitching staff that was historically bad. There's no way around it. Now, he did mention some successes. What were those successes? Well, I think it has to start with the fact that you got 52 starts from rookies this year. You had nine rookie debuts. You had 16 rookies that contributed to this team. But 
Outside of that, you won 100 games in a year where your pitching staff was absolutely decimated by injury. Clayton Kershaw was the last man standing, and his shoulder was about to fall off, right? I mean, he didn't perform well at all. So, yeah, there were some successes baked in there, but you are seeing the same problems again and again with this Dodgers team. And, and yes, it was the pitching for sure. I think the pitching ultimately would have done them in. There's no doubt about that. But when you consider the fact that the offense didn't hit, that ultimately was their undoing in this series. I think the offense should have won them the NLDS, but would have lost them the NLCS. I think that if they had made it to the NLCS, that it would have been seen as an overachieving season. When you look at all the injuries, when you look at everything that could go wrong, did go wrong. Look, say what you want. I'm not here to defend the Dodgers, but I'm not giving you excuses. I'm just offering some explanations and yes, they weren't as aggressive as you'd hope they would be. But on the same token, all of the pitchers that were traded, save for Jordan Montgomery, pitched worse after the deadline. And yes, you could say that maybe if you get one of those guys with the Dodgers, with Mark Pryor and Connor McGinnis, maybe you can put them in better spots to have success. I think Lucas Giolito, who has wipeout stuff, wouldn't have, have performed as poorly with the Dodgers as he did with the angels, but still outside of Jordan Montgomery, all of them failed to varying degrees. I mean, Max Scherzer is still going to get an opportunity in the NL in the ALCS. We'll see how he performs if they make it to the world series, but they didn't get Verlander because Verlander did not want to get trade to the Dodgers. He had a no trade clause. You had Eduardo Rodriguez. Who's not a big fan of winning apparently and invoked his no trade clause. Who else was out there? Dylan Cease, was he out there? That's a big question I have. He didn't pitch well down the stretch, but he's under team control for multiple years. Maybe you bring him in. He has ace-level stuff. Corbin Burns, he wasn't available. How about Mitch Keller from the Pirates? They were interested in him. I find it hard to believe that if the Dodgers didn't want to part ways with some of their top prospects, that they couldn't have gotten one of those ace-level pitchers. So, And then it all starts with Gavin Lux. I mean, the season started with Gavin Lux losing your opening day shortstop, right? And then you lose Dustin May. Then you lose Tony Gonsolin. You talk about how decimated this team was and really the offense, they did not show up. So now here's Andrew Freeman talking about this Dodgers offense that performed very poorly in this NLDS that was really the number one reason why they weren't able to advance. I don't know the answer. Um, you know, for our offense to be an issue this year was really surprising to us. You know, we scored over 900 runs in the, the first time in Los Angeles Dodger history. It's the best offensive team we've had in this run. So that was surprising to us. Obviously, there are three game snippets throughout a year where our offense doesn't perform. How much of it is that? How much of it is other things? I don't know the answer. And a lot of these things, it's hard to know the answer to. Um, there is an element that is October theater and just what plays out on a daily and nightly basis. And there's other things that we can do a better job of and how to separate those. It's incumbent upon us to figure out. Okay. So this is where I push back a little. He says he was shocked. He was surprised by this Dodgers offense that scored over 900 runs, 906 to be exact. The first time in LA Dodgers franchise history that you've eclipsed 900 runs. Yes, that's true. There's no doubt about that. But if you watch this team all year, we've seen this team go in dry spells and basically you beat up on some bad pitchers. You beat up on some bad competition at times and you had an inflated run differential. You had an inflated run total, but this team, the way it's built, you still rely on too many three true outcome hitters, guys like Max Muncy, guys like Chris Taylor, not bat to ball guys. I think to me, for him to say he's surprised, it makes me wonder what have you seen the last couple of seasons? Okay. Like I said, scariest movie in October. It is the Dodgers at the plate in the postseason. And if you look at the one common thread in this run that they've been on, where you've made it to 11 consecutive postseasons, where you've won the division 10 out of 11 years, what is the common thread? The common thread is the offense does not show up. The offense does not perform. Save for two seasons. There was two seasons that the offense performed consistently, and it was 2017, and it was 2020. 
outside of that, they haven't, and they've had early exits and a lot of disappointments. Now, I think that for me, the thing that I fear is that this organization does not address that you need a different approach. You need a different type of player in this era of Major League Baseball. Like I said, they value the three true outcome guys, the high strikeout guys that can slug when you don't have those juice balls right now, right? I think the home run, the launch angle, you're not seeing that as much as we've seen in the past. And I think from a roster construction standpoint, you need to value guys that can do that. And the reality is Freddie Freeman was supposed to be that guy. Now I want to say something about Freddie Freeman, who I think is an incredible player. He's a hall of famer. In my opinion, he's been one of the best signings in Dodgers history, the best signing value wise for Andrew Freeman so far at $162 million on a six year deal. But he's a guy that was supposed to be that bat to ball guy, a guy that's not swinging for the fences, a guy that can come through in key situations last year. He was solid in the postseason. This year, he didn't do as much. Down the stretch, he was talking about issues that he had with his swing. And he's someone who likes to play every single day. And for me, I think one change I want to see moving forward, can we get Freddie Freeman some rest during the season? Because it looked like he ran out of gas. It looked like he didn't have that. Now, I think he was out of rhythm because of the layoff maybe was a factor. And Andrew Freeman said that there's no doubt about it that a five-day layoff impacts hitters timing. And yeah, that's probably true, but still I think from your top two guys for them to be bad down the stretch and be surprised that they didn't perform in the postseason, I just don't buy it. I mean, Mookie bets last two seasons when the month of September hits the production and all of his numbers, they start to go down. And last year in the NLDS, Mookie hit some balls hard. He wasn't getting the results, but this year he was Mook. He was milk box Mookie. I mean, from September 1st on, he had been bad. And when your best player is performing that way, I find it to be just a little shocking that he would say that. So one, I want to see the organizational philosophy change. I think the offense is stuck in the past. I think this Dodgers offense is stuck in the past. They're a Blackberry living in an iPhone world, right? Not only do you not steal bases, you can't stop the steal, right? You can't put the ball in play. And look, let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. In the regular season, the stakes aren't as high, right? It's a Sunday afternoon game. Dodger Stadium is half full. You're facing mediocre pitching. Yeah, you're going to be able to make pitchers throw strikes. You're going to take advantage of them. You're going to punish them. You're going to benefit off that, off that stacked lineup that gives you protection. But when the stakes are raised and the pressure rises, they've choked. They have choked at the plate. I mean, you saw so many uncharacteristic at-bats, and sometimes you got to give the pitcher credit because they were executing pitches. But we saw Freddie Freeman take strike three with runners in the corners, two consecutive curveballs there from Zach Gallon. You saw Max Muncy offering at pitches up and out of the zone, expanding the zone. You saw Mookie Betts expanding the zone, being too aggressive, swing at pitchers' pitches early in the count, leading to lazy fly balls and ground ball outs, right? So... Where does that come from? Is that a situation where the coaching goes up to you and says, no, Hey, let's get a better at bat there. Right. I'm in that clubhouse. I've been in that dugout. I haven't really seen very much of that at all. It feels like these guys, they trust them and they've earned that trust because of the success they've had throughout their career. There's no doubt about that, but I do think that this offense the way it's built, the strategy, the overall approach, there's something under the hood that just isn't right with the way this offense is constructed. And look, I mean, what hitters do they have in the pipeline that we should be excited about? I mean, Michael Bush, he was supposed to be this great hitter, hit less than 200. Miguel Vargas, who's supposed to be this great hitter at bat-to-ball skills, right? They both didn't perform well. The only guy that really hit was James Outman. And he's a guy who had a completely rebuilt swing. I mean, when Colton Wong is on your postseason roster, that to me is concerning. So yeah, to me, I think this organization, the emphasis on the long ball, if you want the slug, if you want the dub, you got the slug. Yes, but you have to let the slug come naturally. You have to let it come within the organic process of taking good at bats. And we just did not see that. And also you look at September 15th to October 1st, Mookie Betts hit 255, had a 98 weighted runs created plus the best 
hitter down the stretch was JD Martinez. Even Freddie Freeman hit 274 the last couple weeks of the season. So to say you're shocked when this Dodgers offense had been underperforming for weeks and then you compound matters by having the layoff, I just do not buy that. Now, he also talked about starting pitching and the emphasis that they're going to place on it this offseason, how much they're going to prioritize it. Here's Andrew Freeman talking about the Dodgers' need for starting pitching moving forward and kind of what went wrong this year. It doesn't really matter. It is what it is. And for us, it's about how to operate the best we can within it. We tried to simulate a lot of at-bats Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because there's no question that five days off affects hitters' timing. There's no question. Now, if getting enough at-bats leading up to that sink, you know, keeps that timing in place, obviously we didn't do a good enough job. So our goal is to win the division next year. And once we do that and hopefully put ourselves in position to get those five days off, we need to really think long and hard about the best way to set up those five days and do everything we can to get our guys ready to play in game one. So there you have it. Talking more about the offense and the need to get a rhythm. He talks about the rhythm and players losing their timing with those five days off. Like we talked about earlier in the week, you got to explore some different ideas. I think they should play a game. It should be on sports NLA. It should be against the triple a Dodgers have their, all their minor league players that aren't going to be on the postseason roster, have them assemble a team and then put on sports NLA, have fans in the stands, raise money for charity, have the players, put money together to give to some of these minor league players, things like that. I think that's what they should do. And you know what? Put the freaking pitching machine out there and crank that up as high as you need to. But for whatever reason, it's a pitcher's responsibility to go out there and train and face hit pitching that, you know, can, can perform and, and show up when they need to. But yeah, I mean, you look at that offense, we'll talk more about it in a little bit, what they can do. But I think at the end of the day, it's a approach problem. It's a mindset problem. I think there's an adapter die element to it because look, like I said, 11 years, only two of those years have they hit the only two years. They're a team that averaged over five runs per game, close to six runs per game during certain stretches in the regular season. That number goes down in the postseason. Only twice have they averaged five runs per game or more in the postseason. What years were those 2017 in 2020. So when the offense produces, you can have starting pitching and that is important. There's no doubt about it. And I think that the pitching was so bad defense back because I think they were pressing even more than they normally do right when they're tight as a drum. And you saw that in the worst way, but I think that you need to produce offensively and their approach does not work. It does not have success. Now, as far as the starting pitching goes and what they could have done and the state of the rotation, Listen to Andrew Freeman talk about how much they're prioritizing starting pitching and what needs to be done to improve and really kind of the obstacles they dealt with this year. Yeah, sure. I think anytime you have the benefit of hindsight and how things play out, I think there were a number of things that played out this year that were unforeseen by us. We talk a lot about the need for pitching depth and how it comes up even more than what you anticipate this year was even a, an accelerated version of that um and so there were a lot of things that were unforeseen and whether we should have foreseen them or not is a fair question i think we also had a number of really talented young pitchers who we wanted to make sure and create some kind of opportunity for and we did and i think they helped us in 2023 and they're going to help us a lot in 2024 and beyond. And I think it's the challenge of sustaining success over a long period of time. We've talked about this a lot. The only way to do it is to incorporate young players onto your roster as you are going and winning. And usually when you do that, there's some lumps, but hopefully the team talent around it is enough to withstand that. Not all really talented prospects go from AAA to the major leagues and hit the ground running and are great from day one. It's not always a straight line. And so we need to be able to provide that 
environment to be able to bring them in, just like we've done with a lot of talented other young players looking back and keep doing that with our goal to continue to sustain success to put us in a position for each and every year to win a championship. So we're going to react to that. I want to read some of these comments. We got a trade from Nando's is Cartias, Stone, Bush, Vargas for Trout. We're going to need more than that. And we're probably going to need the Angels to pay down some of that salary. We got Amanda Z just full of great ideas this morning. DMAC, thank you, man. Hey, that's all I got. Really, I got ideas. That's it. A uh, boomer assassin Kirsch should have a very limited role. Some thoughts on Kirsch that uh, might come as a little bit of a shock. I mean, I got really some interesting thoughts on Kirsch that uh, crossed mind a couple days ago. We got Sithman 5,000. I would trade all their prospects while they still have value. We got Hurley Gonzalez. Muncie should not be playing third base. Yeah, he's been great out as one of the worst third basemans. Muncie needs to be traded. Yeah, we'll talk about Muncie in a minute, but I think, Real quick, though, on Max Muncy, he's essentially a DH masquerading as a third baseman. And yeah, I think it's still helped this team. He has a $14 million club option. And the production's there from a slug standpoint 36 home runs, over 100 RBI. Not a lot of singles compared to the doubles and home runs. And I think that he's someone that maybe could be trade bait. I would not be surprised to see a Max Muncy. And I'll throw this one out there just for fun is that if you're if you're looking at uh, a Max Muncy, I mean maybe you you go on the trade route, you trade him to the White Sox. Maybe Max Muncy with Michael Bush, maybe a Gavin Stone, maybe that package for a Dylan Cease and Yon Mokana, you know players like that. I think the White Sox if we can go the trade route, the White Sox are a natural trade partner. We saw how much business they did with each other this last offseason with Joe Kelly and Lance Lynn. Lance Lindergaard. That's what we're calling him right now, right? Long ball Lance, right? So that's something that I think is possible. I would not be surprised if you see Max Muncy as some trade bait if they do get a Shohei Otani who is going to lock up that DH spot because this organization is too smart to be at a defensive disadvantage for that long. And Max Muncy, he's limited as a third baseman. But let's continue to break down this Andrew Friedman press conference yesterday. And like I said, felt very political, right? There's no doubt about that. But the one we just talked about, I think he brought up some really good points in that. Yeah, of course, you're always going to try to get good starting pitching, right? That's always something that all organizations want, right? It's not that simple though. It's not as simple as saying, okay, we signed two starters. We get three relievers. We get three sluggers win the world series. If it was that easy, Maybe we would see a repeat champion, right? Only team we've seen win multiple titles in the last decade is the Trastros. We know why that is. They're the team that really deserves the asterisk, right? The Trastorisks, right? So if it was that easy, maybe we would see a repeat champion. But what's unique to baseball is the attrition and the injuries are just as bad, if not worse, than any other sport, right? And like I said, this starting road. I don't know what this Dodgers organization did to piss off the baseball gods like they have, but the only luck they've had is bad luck in the last couple of years. I don't know if they walked underneath every single ladder. I don't, they broke every single mirror. I don't know if 10,000 black cats cross Dodgers stadium. I don't know what it is, but they need to go find some pennies. Go pick up every penny you can find in Los Angeles. Go find a four leaf clover. Go find a ton of ladybugs, ladybugs. They need to really reverse their luck because the Dodgers were the Murphy's law of pitching. What did go wrong, what could go wrong, did go wrong all season long. And just let me run down this list. Imagine if I told you that this team with these injuries, with this off the field stuff would win a world series, would win a hundred games, would do anything, right? They won a hundred games in the division. That's about it. They got sweat, but OBJ starter Julio Arias, worst year of his career, then gets arrested for felony domestic violence charges after the deadline. Julio, so not only did he have his worst year, Julio Arias, he gets arrested for felony domestic violence charges after the trade deadline. Maybe if that happens before the trade deadline, maybe you do get more aggressive in trying to bring in a Jordan Montgomery, which you guys know I wanted. 
try to get more aggressive for a Dylan sees, maybe figure out a way to get another impact starter, but their hands were tied. They were had their backs against the wall there. There were really, not really many options available, right? So Julio Rich, open day starter, then Clayton Kershaw, shoulder inflammation. He was a shell of himself when he returned. Then emerging ace, Dustin May, another season ending elbow surgery, Tony Gonsolin, all-star in 2022, Tommy John in 2023, Ryan Pepio, who emerged this year, showed a lot of flashes. He was their best starter last few months of the season. And he has an oblique injury, intercostal muscle. And they lose him for two, three months, right? I mean, he's out for an extended period of time, right? Over three months. He was supposed to be in that opening day rotation, right? And then Noah Syndergaard, worst pitcher in Dodgers history. Thor was a thud, right? I mean, it was awful. Then Gavin Stone, your top pitching prospect. He had a nine ERA, gave eight home runs and 31 innings. Then they wanted Verlander and Scherzer, but the feelings weren't mutual. Cohen found a way to get Verlander to Houston. Spent $35.5 million the next two seasons to pay that down, plus $17.5 million if the option is vested. So you're talking about $39 million total if the option vests. So it was a great deal for the Astros there. And Giolito, he was a buzz for the Angels. They didn't trade for him. Who are these guys other than Montgomery would have had success, right? Giolito was a buzz for the Angels. Flaherty was a buzz for the Orioles. Montgomery, a little bit of an overpay, but that was the best performing pitcher down the stretch after the trade deadline. Eduardo Rodriguez, he invoked his no trade clause. Bobby Miller, he worked out. Bobby Miller, he ascended as a guy that's profiling as a future ace, right? So you combine all that to what happened to Trevor Bauer a few years ago. I mean, it's been the, I'd venture to say that the Dodgers starting rotation has had the worst luck of any starting rotation for any major franchise, probably in the history of baseball last couple of years. And not to mention Walker Bueller, who got all of our hopes up. Got a little Dodger blue balls there, right? Got all of our hopes up. Maybe September for his comeback and he doesn't return. So you don't even get Dustin May back to, for a full season. Walker Beeler, you don't get him back. So you look at this starting rotation, they're absolutely decimated by injuries. But I'm here to tell you that speaking with some people yesterday, I can tell you from sources that this organization is very high on Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And it's not just rumor stuff. It's not just clickbait stuff. There is a, a, and, and they're very enamored by him because of his age. He's 25 years old. They're not going to want to overpay for a pitcher in their early thirties, but they will pay him the bag. If he's 25, my big fear though, is that the Mets go crazy and give him 250 million or something insane like that. Cause Steven Cohen has FU money and he can go that route. But I mean, look, I'm not, like I said, this is not state TV. I'm just saying, if you want to throw this one through the spin cycle, you could say that the Dodgers with the way that Clayton Kershaw had performed since he returned, you could make the case they lost their entire, their entire starting rotation, right? How many teams in Major League Baseball are going to win 100 games after losing your entire starting rotation? And look, at some point, there is this rearranging of the furniture on the Titanic thing, whereas, look, do you really want to go out there and make aggressive moves knowing just is it fixable, right? Is it truly fixable? Is it a situation where you can remodel a little bit you can fix the leak in the roof or do you need to just demolish the house and rebuild it? Right. I think that this year they were decimated so much that you could say that they could, they did overperform. Now that's no excuse for getting punked by an 84 win Dimebacks team. Cause it's not. And that was embarrassing, especially by the offense. And that's what makes it so discouraging. But from a pitching standpoint, when you lay it out like that, man, it is pretty remarkable just how decimated they were. And now the next question is, does this organization value starting pitching? Now their priority is starting pitching. And the reality is there's not that many of those guys out there. So if you can get one, you got to either pay a premium or be part ways with a good chunk of prospect capital. So we're going to talk about this one, but let's read some of your comments right here. We got some pinned ones. We got Jim Freeman will have to make some favorable adjustments open the pocketbook and sign an all-star pitcher and a guy who can slam 44 home runs deuce over on YouTube. The one thing I like that Friedman said is that they need to address pitching injuries and why they are all happening at this rate. Ivan 
over on YouTube. Super chat 499. Thanks going right to the Shohei Otani fund. What about trading for Patrick Sandoval, Mexican lefty? Yeah, I mean, I think they are going to explore the trade route if they're not unable to land Yoshinobu and Yamamoto, right? If they're not able to land him, I expect them to try to make a deal with the Brewers for Corbin Burns. I expect them to try to make a deal with the White Sox for Dylan Cease. And right now, we'll see if that happens. But hey, trade. If I'm looking at uh, making trades, how about Nick Frost or Andy Pajes? Maybe some lower minor prospects for Corbin Burns. If it takes a little more, if it takes an overpay, do it. If you're going to make a move, if you're going to complain about the prices in the pros regular season at the trade deadline when you have to overpay, and like I said, you want to get by the Christmas decorations on December 26th, right? When all the Santa Claus and the Christmas tree stuff, all the ornaments, they're all half price. If you can get a little bit of a discount in the offseason, then I think you have to go that route. So I would absolutely explore those trades for Dylan C's, for Corbin Burns, if that comes to that. But here's my dream rotation, by the way. My dream rotation next year. So let's start feeling good about something, right? Let's start feeling good about the possibility. Because one thing I think Dodgers fans need to remember is that this team has proven that they're willing to spend. They're still top six in payroll this year, right? It's not about the money. They gave Mookie the bag. They gave Freddie the bag. They're, they only have $84 million in commitments going into next season. And I think this is the first time in the Andrew Friedman era that we're going to see him operate at the top of the market. And what that means is the Shohei Otanis. That means the Yamamoto's. That could mean the Blake Snells or the Aaron Nola's. That could mean those types of names, but they are going to operate for the first time at the top of the market. Believe it or not, as big as this payroll has been, we haven't seen that. You get Mookie via a trade and you sign him before opening day in 2020 for 12 years, 365 million. You only got Freddie Freeman because he fell into your lap because the Braves didn't want to compensate him properly. And even then, six years, 162 million, 20 AAV. That's a steal for Freddie Freeman, for Fredericks of Hollywood, for Freddie Franchise. This is going to be the first year, though, where the Dodgers, they're going to be in bidding wars. They're going to be in a bidding war for Shohei Otani. They're going to court Shohei Otani. They're going to go to these guys and say, Hey, we want you on our organization. We're going to try to wow you and woo you. Justin Verlander. They offered him a two year deal. Max Scherzer offered him a two year deal. I think that for the first time, we're going to see some Godfather offers. I'm going to make him an offer. He can't refuse. I think it's the first time we're going to see that. We have Godfather offers. And I think that's going to be big. That's going to be the big difference versus this offseason versus offseasons in the past. And if you want to look at a silver lining, like I said, there is a universe where the offense shows up. They beat the Diamondbacks. They lose to the Phillies. And then the narrative out there is that, oh, this Dodgers team overachieved. They had so many rookies, so many injuries. They still won 100 games and won the NLDS, right? In that world, I think this organization, maybe they're not as aggressive. Maybe they don't feel like they need to change the narrative within their fan base and go out there and make these power moves for an Otani, for Yamamoto, hit the trade market aggressively. This has to light a fire underneath this organization. Get some fire in that belly. This has to be a shock to the system that you otherwise wouldn't have had had they advanced the way they should have, right? So you could see this as a positive because look, I'm here to tell you that there's no star, no universe where their starting pitching would have allowed them to win the World Series this year. That's just a harsh reality. Kershaw was not going to pitch better, in my opinion. I personally believe you save Ryan Pepio for game four. You save, you could have IL'd to get Ryan Yarbrough up. I still believe there's a world where Clayton Kershaw wouldn't have gotten the ball in game four. I personally believe that. I think that they realize that, hey, we're not going to run this guy out there, embarrass himself, and not give our team a chance to win. Because look, let's be honest. Clayton Kershaw had fallen behind Walker Bueller and Julio Urias. They showed us that by making Bueller the opening day starter, by making Julio Urias the opening day starter this year, right? So they have shown us that. So I'm not surprised by that. But uh, Andrew Friedman had more to say. I'm going to continue to unpack this. I'm going to read some more comments here. But you guys, are you guys with me on that? Because I do believe that some good can come out of this. And 
It's all about roster construction. It's all about the one through 26, ladies and gentlemen. It's all about the players that you have. And if this shock to the system, this level of embarrassment where you've won 211 games in the last two seasons and you won exactly one postseason game, that's embarrassing. That is definitely embarrassing, right? And I'll tell you this about Andrew Friedman and Stan Kasten. My fear for these two guys is that they are who they are. And what I mean by that, Stan Kasten, lots of success with the Atlanta Braves, very successful perennial contenders, division championship after division championship and one world series. Andrew Friedman with Tampa Bay, really good, really good, really good. Couldn't get to the mountaintop enough. Is Andrew Friedman going to go down as the best executive in sports history to not win a full season championship? That to me is what's at stake. I mean, we know he should have won in 2017. They were cheated. 2020 wasn't their fault that there was a global pandemic, but still in the eyes of the masses, the perception of it might be just that. And I think that Andrew Friedman is too intelligent too great of a baseball mind to go out like that. And look, here's something I want to tell you this guys, you love the Dodgers more than anyone. Right. But I will say this. You don't want the Dodgers to win more than Andrew Friedman does more than Dave Roberts does more than Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman does. These guys, one, have their livelihood at stake two have their legacies and reputations at stake and four to get to where they got present baseball operations, all-star hall of famer to get to this level. You have to have a level of competition of competitive fire that is unique. So let's just remind ourselves that they want to win. Yes. They like making money. Yes. They're right up there at the top when it comes to leading the league in revenue, when it comes to attendance, they're number one. There's no doubt about that. They print money with the Dodgers, right? They wipe their butts with hundred dollar bills. We understand that this team wants to win though. So let's hear more from Andrew Freeman and what he had to say here at this press conference yesterday at Dodger Stadium. I think people should really go through and look at each guy year to year. The noise and variance year to year. We've had guys who've been incredible one year, not good the next. Mediocre one year. Like, it's not just like, oh, he's a postseason player. He is not. It's just not that simple. And we've seen it firsthand. I mean, look at. Corey Seager's 2019, 2020, 2021. I mean, there are so many examples of guys that it's just not that easy to be like, oh, let's just get the guy who's going to perform in October. Because if it was, I promise you we could do that. See, there's another example there where I totally am in 100% agreement with Andrew Friedman there. That's perfect. I mean, that makes total sense. You can't just go out there and sign guys that you think are always going to be good in October. Yes. You definitely want to look under the hood and see which guys have performed. And it's a factor, but to say, Oh, Andrew Freeman, Hey, can you build a team for October? Can you sign guys that are just good in October? That does not exist. You're going to have good years. You're going to have bad years. Corey Seager. I don't know when you became a Dodgers fan, but Corey Seager had the reputation of being a bad player in the postseason, And then he all of a sudden, went to God mode in 2021 and the following year he was bad in 2021. I mean, 2020 was fantastic. It was bad in 2021. So there's that. And look at Justin Turner. Another perfect example is Justin Turner. Justin Turner holds so many postseason records for the Dodgers, right? So many postseason records for the Dodgers. And he has been bad the last couple postseason runs. I mean, he went six for his last 47 hit 127 in his last four postseason appearances right? So you're not always going to get that guy's going to come through in the postseason. But I think the key though, is to have a philosophical approach where you're putting your players in the best chances and optimizing what they do have. And I think not having so many three true outcome guys could definitely help this team. I think you want to see them possibly get a couple guys in there that they value batting average versus slug versus strikeout rate. It definitely is a thing. So I'm actually with Andrew Freeman on that one. You can't always just build players through October. Yes, you can. I mean, look, if it's Tetris, right. And you're getting a lot of the little Z ones and the blocks and this and that you need the long piece, right? You need a couple more of those long pieces that can just break everything up and get you the points. 
Right now, they don't have enough of those long pieces that you can guarantee are going to come through in the postseason. And I definitely think you need to address that. But this whole idea that you can build a team just for October, it doesn't make a lot of sense because to get to October, you still have to win in the regular season. And it's a 162 game season. So I do think that is, I'm with Andrew Freeman now. But uh, Jordan, let's play the next clip. Again, look at our 2020 rotation, and like it can come in all different ways. The funny thing to me at the end of each October is there is a narrative that is formed after that team wins, whoever it is. 2015, it was the power bullpen. 2016, it was youth. Each year, there's a different narrative that comes. And with the exception of one team, there have been no repeat winners for a long period of time, which speaks to the difficulties of it but more than that how there's not just one way to do it and so for us I think it's not about having uh, this is the one formula that works it is going to fall out of the talent that we have some years we may be heavier on the offensive side and bullpen some years starting pitching may be our strength because if you ask me yeah I'd like to have a really strong rotation a really strong bullpen and a great lineup sometimes things in that aren't great when you're putting together a team and you're trying to make the best team that you can sometimes there's weaker spots in that and so that kind of falls out of what is available and accessible um, but it's hard to go beyond that So again, I'm with Freeman on that one. I think he's cooking. I think he had some really interesting comments about some of those questions that he received about the rotation, the roster construction, and that, yeah, we have seen this team have strong starting rotations. When Bueller was healthy, when Kirsch had a little more in the tank, when you had Granke and Kirsch. At the end of the day, like I said, the 11 postseason runs, only twice has the offense averaged more than five runs. Both those years, they either went to the World Series, got cheated out of one, or they won the whole World Series. So it's more complicated than that. But I will say, you get what you pay for when it comes to these starting pitchers. And look at the organization right now. I think they need to acquire as many talented starting pitchers as they can. As many as they can. You're not out there saying, we need a one, we need a two, we need a three. If you can get three ones, Get three ones and have them be your one, two, and three, right? It's not about, okay, looking for the ace, looking for the second guy. You're looking for as many talented arms as you can. And let's be honest, the planet, 7 billion people, whatever it is right now, there's like 20 of these guys tops on the planet that are elite starting pitchers. Someone asked him yesterday about pitchers going seven, eight innings in the postseason. Who the hell is doing that? Okay, even Austin, Nola, even Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. I mean, you're not seeing that. I mean, if you get six, innings of two run ball. You will live with that and you'll take that to your bullpen. But I will say that people feel like the future is bleak for this starting rotation because there's a lot of big questions. I'm here to tell you that next year we could have the best starting rotation in baseball. I think it could be the best starting rotation in the Andrew Friedman era. I mean, let's start with Bobby Miller. So Bobby Miller is someone that, yeah, he didn't pitch well. He didn't get out of the second innings. And he had so many bad pitches there where he struggled to find command with his breaking stuff. Wasn't spotting his fastball. Yes, it was bad. But still, what happened to Walker Buehler in his first postseason start? Gave up a grand slam to Ronald Acuna. Gave five runs and five innings of work. Will go on to be the best postseason pitcher in baseball for a stretch there, right? And look, the reality is, I don't care what starting rotation you have. I don't care who's out there on the mound and how your offense looks. Even the worst staff in Major League Baseball is not going to give up 13 runs and record just 14 outs. That is historically bad. So it's difficult to overcome that. Now, would you like to have guys and go six or seven innings? For sure you would. But what I'm impressed with is they're outwardly saying they want to focus on starting pitching. If you guys watch the first version of the show after the loss, isn't that what I screamed and pounded my fist on the table about? Focus on starting pitching? So. Clearly, we're seeing eye to eye here, right? Don't forget who's the first guy who did a video about Yamamoto in the summertime, right? It's about starting pitching. Since 1958, when this team relocated to Los Angeles, they have the lowest ERA in Major League Baseball. And this year, this Dodgers team had a 4.57 ERA. That was 20th in Major League Baseball. 
They were 18th in ERA minus. If you don't know what ERA minus is, it's basically the pitcher version of OPS plus and ERA plus. This year for the Dodgers, it was 107. That was 22nd in Major League Baseball. They had a 9.1 F war. That was 21st in Major League Baseball. Last year, the Dodgers, ERA minus was 70. That was first. 2021, 72. That was first. 2020, 75. Third. 2019, 73. First. They have been great from a starting pitching standpoint throughout the entire Andrew Friedman era. So to act like they don't prioritize pitching in general, it's just not true. I bring my facts to the fight. The facts state otherwise. It's just a matter of paying for starting pitching on a premium level and not going out and getting guys through the trade market on a one-year deal and this and that. So I think that you need to increase your level of activity and getting the premium guys, but still, I think you have to give them the benefit of the doubt as far as their emphasis. Now, when you look at the Dodgers rotation at the moment, Bueller's in his final year before free agency. Then you got Bobby Miller. Hopefully he emerges. I think there's a chance Bobby Miller makes the all-star team next year. I think that's very possible. And then you got guys with options. Ryan Pepio, Emmett Sheehan, Gavin Stone, Kyle Hurt. I think Ryan Yarbrough is another guy that you're going to see them mix in in some starts potentially, but he has one more year of arbitration left. I think you can see Ryan Yarbrough as trade bait. I would not be, I would not be surprised. I mean, he has value as a swing man. And then you can see them add Landon Knack and Nick Frosso to the 40 man roster, right? So the pitching depth is not, they're not as bereft of pitching as some might think they just need that missing piece, right? You need the frontline guys. And like I said, here's my dream rotation for next season. My, my dream rotation for next season. And you guys know I'm starting with Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I want to see as the Dodgers opening day starter. I know that's kind of bold. I know you might want to see Walker Bueller back. I know you want to see Clayton Kershaw if he resigns, but why not just go Yoshinobu Yamamoto, pay him whatever it takes, give him the back. Like I told you, I spoke to someone yesterday and they told me it's real. It's there's a, it's not just the clickbait Dodgers are in every rumor. No, it's real. Now I do fear the Mets. Cause I think the Mets and Stephen Cohen have a few money. If they want them, they can get them. But I want to see him as my opening day starter. Now Clayton Kershaw. I still want back. And I know a lot of you say you don't want Clayton Kershaw back. You want to see him ride in the sunset and retire. And I understand that. I understand that there's no doubt about it, but if he heals and he's back to hundred percent and you can get him on a deal for anywhere between 15 and $20 million having pitch around hundred innings. The reality with Clayton Kershaw is he's not going to hurt the team in the regular season. He's probably just going to perform until the annual injury to his back, right? Until the annual IL stint. He's been in the IL last 10 years consecutively. It's inevitable. We know that, but one, he's not going to hurt the team in the regular season. And two, he's not going to prevent them from signing anyone. Kirsch on a one-year $15 to $20 million deal is not going to prevent them from signing Shohei Otani or Yamamoto or anyone out there that they want to add. And you consider the legacy benefits. He's 56 strikeouts away from 3,000. Might as well have him back. Now, if everyone stays healthy, I don't want to see him on the mound in October. I think Dodgers fans, even my devout Kirschians out there, if you're looking at me right in these eyes, Every honest Dodgers fan does not want to see Clayton Kershaw on the mound in October, but I'd be fine if it was game three and you're up 2-0. I'd be fine if it's game four and you're up 3-0 or it's 2-1 and you got a short leash on him and hopefully he's performing healthy. So the point I'm trying to make is let's not pour dirt on Kershaw's grave just yet, okay? Let's not act like he wasn't good before the injury last year. So barring his health, I don't think he would return unless he felt like he could get back to 100% health. So I still think he can help this team. And then you got, how about, we talked about Bobby Miller. He's a part of that rotation. And then how about Ryan Pepio? Ryan Pepio, he had a big breakthrough. You saw the strikeouts up, the walks down. Walker Bueller, I think, has a chance to win comeback player of the year. I'm calling it right now. I want to be the first person in Dodgers me to say that. Walker Bueller is going to win the comeback player of the year. And I don't think he's going to be as limited as a lot of people are saying. I hear people out there saying the command, the field shouldn't have high expectations. Let's not forget, he did not return on September 1st. He's going to have a year and a half of rehab. I expect him in a contract year to want to perform. I think the Dodgers are going to give him the opportunity. And then you've got the next tier. So those are my starters, right? Give me Yamamoto, Bobby Miller, Walker Buehler, Ryan Pepio. You're going to get Dustin May at some point in 2024, maybe late summer. 
Give me Clay and Kershaw back. You need a lefty in there, right? And then the next tier is the Showtime tier. Are you ready for the show? Gavin Stone definitely struggled. We talked about Gavin Stone struggling. There's no doubt about that. Through June at AAA, he even was bad. A 671 ERA, but July to September, he had a 253 ERA. He was fantastic. So he has some life. I could see Gavin Stone be included in a trade too. Then you got Emmett Sheehan, stepped onto the scene, was perfect. Uh, had a no-hitter through six. I saw explosive stuff. Dave Roberts said himself he has the most explosive four-seam fastball. Kyle Hurt, we saw him in his debut, the explosive stuff he has. Nate Frosso, Landon Nack. That's basically 11 deep. And you could also have River Ryan in that mix. If you don't know River Ryan, get familiar because this guy has talent as well. So I hope they don't sign Snell. I hope they don't sign Gray. I want to see a multi-year premium deal just for Yamamoto. If you can't get Yamamoto, get Burns, get Cease. That's the package. Mitch Keller. I can run this team. I'm telling you. Vargas. Maybe. I love my Vargas. You guys know that. You know that. If he has no more fans, that means I'm no longer on this earth. You know that. But Vargas to Milwaukee for Corbin Burns and maybe Milner. That'd be interesting. But uh, let's keep playing these clips and we might extend this till tomorrow's because they jam-packed show and keep lying those comments because we're going to go right to that comics, uh, comment section in just a second here. Jordan is getting the best comment. So let's uh, fire off that clip on Andrew Friedman. I mean, we'll certainly be uh, focused on starting pitching um, for sure. And it's how to balance the young guys and where we're at there, obviously with Walker Bueller coming back and then the market, whether it's through trade or free agency. Um, bullpen, we feel like we're in a pretty good place. It doesn't mean we can't supplement here or there. And then offense, we feel good about, but there's some position player needs that we're going to have to address and figure out what makes the most sense within our current group. So there you go. That sounds like, that sounds like to me, someone who is committed to starting pitching. I think that is some of what we know. And I think if you're going to take one thing away from last yesterday's press conference is that they're going to emphasize starting pitching that hopefully is going to change the course of this franchise because offensively they have some moves to make as well. So we're talking about that one. I think we've really hit that one on the nail as far as you know what they're going to try to do. They're going to explore the trade market. You're going to find any way they can to get guys they can trust. They've learned their lessons. Okay. We've pet that dog before we got bitten as far as trying to wait for guys to come back. You're not going to wait for Dustin May to come back, right? That's not going to happen. You got to go out there and get proven commodities. If you really want to give yourself the best chance to win Aaron Nola, I think he's the other guy that I might consider, but Snell, no, thank you. I'm good. He's due for regression. I guarantee you. He will trust me. I spent hours looking at Blake Snell, Snellzilla. That's not the move, but, um, yeah, you got to build through champion. There's a reason why you haven't had repeat champions in baseball since 2000. Hasn't happened since the 70s Reds in the National League. If it was that easy, everyone can do it. Now, he did talk about Shohei Otani. He was asked a question about him. Let's continue to uh, listen to these clips. Andrew Freeman had a lot to say. And uh, here's, I believe this is the one about Shohei Otani. Um, you know, I think going into any postseason, Mookie and Freddie would be among the highest drafted if you got to just draft going into October who you have. Um, obviously, Mookie hasn't did not perform this DS or last DS. Last DS, he actually hit some balls hard that were caught. You know, this one, a lot of our guys were just kind of stuck in between. Again, I know it's not from a lack of effort or caring. And so then it's about doing everything we can you know, if we're fortunate enough, uh, you know, to win the division and have those five days off, what's the right balance for everybody? And each guy's probably a little bit different in terms of what we do to put them in the best position. I don't know the answer to it, but I know it's not, you know, from a lack of effort or caring. And so, you know, going into what I hope is a postseason run in 2024, I would bet on Mookie performing really well because he's that talented of a player and he's also had uh, success in October. So that's on Mookie bets. We talked about that earlier and yes, they need more from their superstar. They need more from their $365 million man. I see Justin Lama said that guy has a lot of blah, blah, 
blah. And you Instagram me that. Yes, James, I saw that too. And I agree. There is a lot of blah, blah, blah with Andrew Friedman. Speak fluent Friedman. And you have to kind of dig into what he's saying. And as far as Mookie Betts, that's why you guys heard my spiel as far as you need another base of your franchise to take some pressure off of him. Because clearly, he does not deal with the pressure well. I think that, look, say what you want about the guy. He's fantastic, no doubt about it. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, in my opinion. But he's a five foot nine dude that's hitting bombs. That the organization asked him to add nine pounds of muscle. I think he breaks down as the season goes along. And if you look at his numbers, they prove that. There's a, a downward trend to his stats when it becomes the month of September. And I think that, yeah, I think he could definitely have success. I'm not doubting that. I think he's already had a big impact on this franchise and they wouldn't have won a world series without him, especially when we look at the plays he made defensively, but it's definitely something to consider. But let's keep rolling with these clips. Andrew Freeman, lots to say yesterday at Dodger stadium. Because organizational failure means it's on all of us and we all have a hand in it. And if this were one person or a small collection of people in my estimation, um, then we would make changes. We just wouldn't do it to say, look, we made changes and try to cover up what has happened. Instead, we have a lot of extremely disappointed, angry people who are all going to work really hard together to avoid being in this position next year. And so with the talent, with how much they care, with their work ethic, how much they care about these fans and doing everything we can to win a championship in 2024, felt like making a change would be for the sake of it instead of actually bringing better, more talented people in. I saw Boomer Assassin. I saw Boomer Assassin in the comments saying, let's give Dookie Butts some ringworm cream. Okay, that's a bruh. But uh, yeah, I see BC saying that's average one run per game next year. Yeah, I mean, calling it organizational failure, look, yeah, absolutely it was, and it's definitely good that they're taking accountability, but I don't understand how you can call it organizational failure and say, oh, that's unacceptable. Something needs to change here. So what's the fix? I don't know. Let's run it back with the same exact coaches, the same exact personnel, right? I think the change they're going to make is going to be through roster construction and roster build. So that to me is fine. You can call it organizational failure as long as you're learning and you're making different, uh, you're having different approaches. That to me is going to be the biggest key. But let's keep rolling with these Friedman clips, guys. <laughs> Obviously, we can't talk about uh, free agents or impending free agents. Um, but from our standpoint, which has been our mindset and the great fortune that our ownership has provided us to be aggressive, to go out and put the best team on the field that we can. And for us, obviously, we're extremely angry, disappointed with how these last two off seasons have gone. And we're going to do everything we can to put ourselves in position for it not to happen next year. So what that means exactly, I'm not sure yet. Um, but I do feel very confident that when we show up in Arizona in February, we're going to have a team that has very, very legit championship aspirations. And then it's about going out and taking care of that first part of the goal in the regular season and then doing whatever we can to make sure we're not sitting here in this exact setting a year from now. Like, but someone says it's like watching the state of the union address. Yeah. Look, they're really, as far as 30 minutes of content there, there's pretty much two minutes of interesting comments as far as relevant stuff. And I think that is the one that's the most relevant. That's the one that you want to hold the organization accountable for. If they're saying they're going to be aggressive, if they're saying they're going to operate at the top of the market and put a team together that has world series aspirations. That tells you that this is going to be a very different offseason Dodgers nation. I told you that earlier in the show, this is the first time in the Andrew Friedman era that they're truly going to be operating at the top of the market. If they go to that dealership, they're going to drive off the lot with something this time around. It's not going to be like last year where you saw them involved in Aaron Judge rumors and Dansby Swanson rumors, Carlos Correa rumors. That was clickbait for the most part. Let's just be honest. Let's call it what it is. This year is a different story. They are legitimately going to go after Shohei Otani. They have the financial muscle to do it. Makes a ton of sense. Talked a lot about it, but let's go to that next clip. 
Um, yeah, I think he and Ellen are going to take some time right now and uh, assess and um, ball is squarely in their court. And at some point, I'm sure I'll talk to him. So that, of course, is about Clayton Kershaw, and he's going to take some time. Last year was different because he signed right away. It's a different situation because he's going to get different opinions on his shoulder. We've already touched on this. Like I said, Kirsch at 15 to 20 million for 3.7 war. That's great value. It's a no-brainer signing. When you look at the legacy of it, he can't hurt this team in the regular season. Like I said, there's no Dodger fan out there that really feels great about him on the mound in October based on the success he hasn't had throughout his career, but still, I think he's going to be back at this point, unless the shoulder can't heal. The shoulder can heal. It can be effective. He's going to be back. If he has to have surgery or it's going to linger, he's going to be gone. Let's roll with that next clip. Well, let's keep going here. Let's read some comments, actually. You guys are lighting up the comment section. Appreciate you guys rock with us here for a Dodgers dugout live in the morning. We've got Steven Kirsch was done three years ago. You think you know me 26. All of those people aren't reliable in October, except Walker J. Cole D Mac. I just said Bueller Cy young year. Don't take my idea as yours. I didn't say Cy young year. I said, comeback player of the year. I don't think that Walker Bueller is going to win the Cy young. That'd be great. I would love it. I would love Cy Bueller. He was in the mix. He was the odds on favorite as late as early August back in 2021. And I think that he's a Cy young caliber pitcher, but I just don't see it happening next year. I think it'll be a little, There'll be a little stretch there where we have some rough outings, but I think it's gonna be great. Leonardo Blanco says, Hey, DMAC Friedman said organizational failure. Wouldn't you agree? They failed to have a plan B for starting pitching. So real quickly on that one, I think you could make the case that, yeah, they knew that Tony Gonson was pitching with a torn UCL for two months. They knew what they had in Clayton Kershaw. They knew what they had in Dustin May. They knew that it was unlikely that Beeler was going to be back. They did try to get, Eduardo Rodriguez. That's a very rare instance. That almost never happens. We have a player invoke his no trade clause in that sense to an organization like the Dodgers. Right. And on the flip side, the Julio Arias arrest came after the deadline. I do think that there was not that many pitchers available. I do think they might regret not going out there and getting Jordan Montgomery, but yeah, not having a plan B is a par- a problem, but they really just, they were, they were so behind as far as the unforeseen circumstances with the pitching that it was definitely a tough, a tough, a tough pill to really a tough uh, situation to overcome. But uh, this, that one just threw me off in the comment section, but uh, all right, let's roll this. Is that all the clips? Okay, cool. So that's going to do it for this episode of Dodgers dugout live. Actually, let's read some comments here because you guys have been lighting up. Do you got any uh, saved ones? You got the pinned ones over here. You got two Mitchell Hopkins. I agree with you. DMAC back to postseason fails and back-to-back postseason fails. And that will make them realize they need to change. Yeah. If it doesn't happen now, when will it ever now? I will say pretty much the most relevant question yesterday at that post at that press conference came from Bill Plunkett, who basically said, is this arrogance to run this back knowing that you have won 211 games last two years and just have one postseason win. And that's the one that kind of really, brought some tension in the room. Right. And I think that there is something to that. I think that this is the year where if nothing happens next year, as far as the postseason, Dave Roberts is going to be gone. And Dave Roberts is in the last year of his contract. He signed that three-year extension in 2022 during spring training. You know what Dave Roberts is getting paid per year? $3.25 million. That's a lot for everyday folks. No doubt about that. And I think that, if you look at Dave Roberts, yeah, I think that he's a great regular season manager. I don't disagree with that. All managers have a shelf life though. And at some point, 95% of managers looked it up yesterday, 95% of managers get fired. So there's a strong likelihood that Dave Roberts ultimately gets fired at some point. If he wins another world series, maybe he keeps that job for as long as he wants it. And you look at what a manager does in the, Regular season, he's perfect. He's calm. He's positive. He shows no signs of panic. When the postseason rolls around, you need some more urgency. You need some blood and guts and fire. And I think you need to really light a fire and hold your players accountable. Doesn't feel like that is the plan. I don't think that is 
really what transpires with Mookie Betts. So maybe you do need a guy that can instill that fire after next year. But the reality is this season, Dave, I think, was backed in a corner. The team was down 0-2. Even with the off days, the bullpen had 16 innings up to that point. You had your best hitters go five for 42. I'm not so sure Dave was the problem, right? You're, you want to fire the manager at the restaurant? You need to fire the chef, the guy who's buying the food and growing the food and has the recipes, right? I mean, he could only cook the meal with the food he has, the ingredients he has, and really, he didn't have a lot of great stuff, right? I mean, talk about how devoid they were of starting pitching town at that point. So at some point, though, if it doesn't happen this year, I think they do need a new voice. I think you got to really consider blowing it up if you have another postseason collapse like the one they had this year. But that is going to do it. We're going to be back with you guys later in. Oh, we're going to be back with you guys tomorrow. There's no show today for the other show, right? So we're going to be back with you guys tomorrow morning for Dodgers Dugout Live. And Jerry Harrison is going to be joining us on Friday now. Texted Jay Hare last night. He's going to be joining us on Friday. So be excited for that. He's got a lot of fire takes. We'll probably end up talking about Michael Jordan and his greatness the whole time. But let us know down below. Do you think it's an organizational failure? What's the biggest change you want to see? I'll read a couple here on the way out. Mike Saldana, we can't win with four guys hitting 200 in the lineup. That's literally verbatim what Ron Say said when I interviewed him last year, so I could not agree more. We talked about it earlier in the show. Too many three true outcome guys. Kershaw for one year, $10 million. It's a little disrespectful. Mike Saldana, at least give him a little work past due money there. We got uh, Wesley. Kershaw is still not worth it. He was just propelled into game one start out of necessity. Yeah, and that's what we talked about, right? Uh, need to change what? <laughs> Felipe Jones. Okay, man. Sign Plunkett as manager from Nando 390. You can see Plunkett as a manager. Peanuts for manager from Craig Osterberg. Utley or Molina for coach. That's from the infamous El Guapo. Brian Gomez. If Dodgers have a losing streak, would they fire Dave Roberts midseason? I mean, you don't want a lame duck manager. I mean, you don't want a lame duck manager, and that's going to be the case if they don't sign extension during spring training next year. So that's a really interesting look. But when you look at you know three point two five million for Dave Roberts per year, I'm looking at five hundred twenty seven million for their superstars that didn't show up. So that's going to DMAC for president. Okay, Leonardo Blanco, but that's going to do it, guys. Rock with you guys tomorrow. Thank you guys always for joining us here on Dodgers Dugout Live. If you have not yet, be sure to subscribe to the show. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Hit that like button. And if you want to be a part of our giveaways, we just gave away a Mookie Betts $350 authentic jersey. We got more giveaways this offseason. And to be eligible for our giveaways, make sure bring in Dontrell for pitching help. Make sure you are subscribed. And uh, see you guys tomorrow. Remember, nothing brings us together quite like Dodger baseball. And until next time, think blue, bleed blue. And I'm. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.